two worst teams in the NHL. And as a result, they're in a position to possibly move into first place in the division as soon as tonight. A sweep of the Devils today would give the Penguins 65 points. And if the Capitals lose to the Islanders tonight, the Penguins would wake up in first place tomorrow. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Penguins Live Weekly. With Brian Metzer, I'm Paul Steigerwald, Wayne Gretzky-Anderson at the controls in Mets. The Penguins split with the Sabres last weekend and have taken two from the Devils. They'd love to make it a clean sweep. They certainly would, Stag. It's not been an easy road, I don't think, against <laughs> these think? teams. Yeah, it's definitely been a little more challenging than we anticipated, but... I would say they've done a better job than uh, some maybe around the league, and they're still collecting points. They're just not always doing it in beautiful fashion. I don't know about you, but I forgive them if they got a little full of themselves when they jumped out to that 6 nothing lead after 2 on Tuesday. Yeah, I think uh, it would be hard not to do that. I mean, we talked on our postgame show that it doesn't matter. Any level of hockey, when the when the pucks are going in and you're rolling up the offense, everybody wants to get on the score sheet. You kind of let your guard down a little bit, and that's exactly what they did. And from top to bottom, I don't know that anybody was really invested in, in playing defense that night, and not even their goaltender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Uh, the goaltender really uh, bounced back, and I thought that was a really good sign of mental toughness for Tristan Jari to play the way he did on Thursday night in that 5-1 win. And, of course, Sidney Crosby set the tone. And you know what I thought of, Mets? Think of all the times during the course of the years when Mario and Tom Barrasso were the key guys for the Penguins. Yep. You could argue on either any night who should be number one star in a lot of nights, right? And the same thing with Flower and Sid over the course of time. And I see that now with Sid and Jari like uh, on, on Thursday night. Uh, neither one was a star in the game, and they were both perhaps the number one yeah, star. Yeah, they were the biggest star. And it's funny, the point you make, uh, there was people that were rooting for Tom Barrasso as a Conn Smythe Trophy winner when Mario won it. Exactly. In the, the Cups back then. So, yeah, I, I thought those guys set the tone. Tristan Jari made every save he needed him to make. Sidney Crosby came out less than a minute in, gets them on the board, off and running. And uh, you can't ask for anything more than to have your, your captain set the tone the way that he did and to have your goaltender really backstop them and, and bounce back in a big way and reward his coach for the faith he showed by coming right back to him. Absolutely. We will have the highlights of the four games this week. We'll talk about some of the tough decisions Mike Sullivan will have to make if and when everybody is healthy. We'll visit with the Devils general manager and a former Penguins assistant GM, Tom Fitzgerald. It's another hour of spirited Saturday morning hockey talk coming up on the Penguins radio network presented by S&T Bank. Welcome back to Penguins Live Weekly. We're here every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. to take a look back at the week that was for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And the week last Saturday afternoon began with the first of back-to-backs against the resurgent Buffalo Sabres, who had won five of their last nine after winning just two of their previous 32. The Sabres were without their top two goaltenders, and journeyman Dustin Tokarski was called upon to play both games against the Penguins last weekend. At 10.30 of the first period of the first game, Jared McCann caught him wandering away from his goalpost. McCann on the near wall. Drops it back for Matheson. A half-slapper is kicked aside by Tokarski. Rebound put in from below the goal line. It's Jared McCann with the bank shot. A beauty for number 19 opens the scoring. And Pittsburgh won. Buffalo, nothing. A former Sabre haunted his old team at 5.57 of the second. Rolls behind the net for Bluger. Pops it off the body of Dylan Cousins. Sabre forward lost control of it to Bluger. He puts it right back on Cousins' stick who... Stick handles around a few Penguin sticks and turns it over to Bluger. Left circle for Rodriguez. Wrist shot. He scores. Evan Rodriguez beats Tokarski over the glove. And the Penguins take a 2-0 lead over Buffalo. And after Tage Thompson cut the lead in half only 44 seconds later, Brian Rust redirected a ridiculous shot pass from Sidney Crosby 
for a beautiful power play goal. Cross ice feed for Crosby. Drops it back for Gensel at the left side. Crosby, his backhander, nice pass with some sauce on it to the right side for Latang. Into the near corner, back for Gensel, over to Crosby, left circle, shoots it, deflected in, they score! Brian Rust atop the crease and the Rusty Razor with the PPG. 3-1 Pittsburgh. The Penguins led 3-1 after two and surrendered a power play goal to Casey Middlestat just play past the midway point of the third. Tristan Jari held the fort the rest of the way for a 3-2 win, and the Penguins had taken 10 out of 10 points from the Sabres at that point. But Sunday... The Sabres were bound and determined to solve Casey DeSmith, who had shut them out twice earlier this season, and it didn't take them long to do it. Crosby also in on the four-check for the Pens. He drives it up the far wall. Latang retrieves there, plays it into the far corner. Ricochet back up the wall, collected by Cousins. A look out here. A two-on-one for Buffalo. Cousins down the left wing. Roots alignment with him. Feeds him. Shoots. He scores! R2 roots aligning from the right wing circle, 26 seconds in, and it's one nothing Sabres. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> There's no crowd sign whatsoever, thanks to the Sabres not feeding it at that point to the boys in the booth. Just over two minutes into the second, Sam Reinhardt made it 2 to nothing. Collected by Olsen, quick pass for Reinhardt. Over the Penguin line, down the left wing, stick check by Marino. A couple good back checks by John Marino there to thwart a couple Sabre offensive opportunities as Buffalo re-enters the zone. Olsen right side for Reinhardt. A wrist shot off the post and in. Sam Reinhardt finds the back of the net and Buffalo extends their lead. It's 2-0. That was the first of two for Reinhardt in the second and after an obviously frustrated Jason Zucker had failed to convert on a breakaway and botched a two-on-one with Jeff Carter, he finally cashed in midway through the third. Penguins trail the Sabres by a score of 3-0. Face-off to goaltender Tokarski's right. Carter against middle stat. One by Carter. Loose in the dock. Comes to Zucker. Shoots. He scores. Just like that off the draw. Jason Zucker gives the Pens some life. And it's 3-1. Rasmus Asplund, one of three Rasmai in the uh, Buffalo uh, lineup. Flush and Rasmai. <laughs> <laughs> Made it 4-1. That is amazing. They have three players named Rasmus. I had never heard that name before until Rasmus <laughs> Rustalainen came into the league. Now the Sabres have all three Rasmai. Uh, so Asplund made it 4-1 to one with an empty netter before Teddy Bluger scored his first since returning from injury. It was just 24 seconds left, but the Sabres earned a split with a 4-2 win. That was the third game in four days for the Penguins-Mets, uh, but that shouldn't have been a big deal because they did have three days off, but I think the three days off actually did have an adverse effect on their offensive game for a while. I think that's been the the case often with them when they when they get that extended break. It's good to kind of lick the wounds and get guys healthy and and you know heal up the the bruises and and achy bones. But then they come out and they're not cohesive and they don't really have their offensive game going. I don't know that their defensive game is where it should be, and it takes them a little bit to get their legs back under them. And I think that the Buffalo Sabers took advantage of them a little bit in this game, and uh, the Penguins. Almost got taken by surprise early on, and it ended a shutout sequence for Casey DeSmith. I know you mentioned he was so good against them. He had 180 minutes and 18 seconds that dated back to the 18-19 season against the Buffalo Sabres, and they ended that just 26 seconds in. That's amazing. It was a tough day for Jason Zucker, who's been moved to the right wing, and I know he says he's played there, et cetera, but you like always it. wonder about it, don't <laughs> you? He still doesn't look totally comfortable there for me. No, and, I, you know... All of these guys, and I know we mentioned it that day, I think, Stag, when we said, oh, you know, Jerome again, I can play anywhere you need me to, but they, they are comfortable where they are comfortable. And I feel like in recent seasons, Jason Zucker has been most comfortable on the left wing. He's looked his best here in Pittsburgh on the left wing. I know he's willing to do it. He's playing in the top six. He's playing with talented players. 
But for his benefit, I think you get him back on the left side here at some point because he just does not look quite as comfortable, and it's it's different. You're asking him to do everything a little bit differently than he normally does when he's on that left wing. Well, there may be no choice anyway because, uh, you know, Kasperi Kapitan's already yep. back. Brandon Tanev's on the way back, so that's two yeah, more right-wingers coming into the game. The right-wings yeah, will yeah. be really loaded up, and I think it's a perfect opportunity to get him onto the left side of maybe a third line or a fourth line. Yeah, you might see him on the fourth line. Goals are not coming as easily after the three-day break. That was for sure going into that uh, – that game against Buffalo. But, uh, you know, hey, the Sabres are a different team. Um, and, you know, the Penguins have two more games with them to end the season. So they're not quite the uh, – although let's just say the points aren't the low-hanging fruit that we called them uh, earlier in the season. So the Penguins returned home to start a five-game homestand, three straight with the New Jersey Devils. And their offense suddenly did come back to life against a Devils team that had lost seven in a row. Zucker couldn't find it. Comes right circle for McCann. Cross ice, CeCe. Into the slot, Matheson. A shot, he scores! Mike Matheson goes top shelf from the center point. And Pittsburgh draws first blood. It's 1-0. It's Crosby, the quick outlet. Up the left wing, Springs Rust. He's in on the forehand. Deke shoots, he scores! Brian Rust with the finish. Tucks it home. And the Penguins go up 2-0. Tristan Jari, who hands it off to Brian Dumoulin. Skating up the right side, through center, backhands it in on Wedgwood, it rolls in! Brian Dumoulin from about 100 feet away puts it through Wedgwood, and the Penguins have a 3 nothing lead, and that one was wild. <laughs> the goal by Brian Dumoulin had the Penguins giggling, and Jeff Carter kept the party going with his first as a Penguin at 17.58 of the first. Penguins back in the attacking zone. Carter in the slot shoots. He scores! Welcome aboard, Mr. Carter. His first is a Penguin, and it's 4-0 Pittsburgh. Penguins got goals from Teddy Bluger and Evan Rodriguez in the second period against backup goaltender Aaron Dell, and they took a 6-0 lead into the third period. But the Devils' special teams uh, came to life, particularly a 5-on-3 power play goal by Nico Heischer, 41 seconds into the period, and then a short-handed goal by Yegor Sharangovich ignited a comeback that might have lived in infamy around here, if not for the only goal the Penguins scored in the third. Latang again with a rip from the left circle. That one goes wide, comes back to the right point for Dumoulin. Down in the near corner for Crosby, right side for Russ. Broke a stick on the shot, comes back to Crosby, fires and scores! Bar down from the bottom of the right wing circle. Sydney, you are sensational. 7-3. <laughs> the Penguins would allow three more goals and escape with a 7-6 win. The only win in the entire history of the National Hockey League in which the winning team allowed five goals or more in the third period and somehow won the game. Somehow, it's befitting of the Penguins, who have won a lot of scoring contests over the years, but it felt like Mike Sullivan was groping for words and Devils coach Lindy Ruff was groping for saves after. Well, I, I've never been through an experience like that, so I, it's, uh, it's not an easy one to react to. I, I'm not sure I have a valid answer for you, and that's what I told the players. To start it off, we need better goaltending. Flat out need better goaltending. Um, we've made some mistakes. Every team makes mistakes. Um, you saw a few of the goals that went in. Th those are those are saves we need. We need we need some of those to be saves. Um, yes, no quit in the game for sure. Uh, a couple structure breakdowns. Uh, but at the end of the day. I need I need my guys between the between the pipes to be the difference for us. 
By the time Sully met with the media after practice on Wednesday, he had plenty to say about what his team needed to do to avoid any more near catastrophes. We're looking for a, a response where we play the response with a game that gives us a chance to win, uh, regardless of who our opponent is. And it, it has to do with a certain level of, of uh, competitive spirit and and then a discipline to details and, and a collective effort. And, and when, when that takes place, I think we're a real good hockey team. And we provide a lot of evidence for ourselves uh, to suggest that we are when we play the game a certain way. And we've talked about this, these details daily, uh, all year long. And so the players know what, it, what they are uh, when, we talk of, when we talk about it. And now it's just a matter of making sure that we hold one another accountable to that standard. So Thursday night, Sully got the response he was seeking, and Ruff got more lousy goaltending from Aaron Dell, and the best leader in the game set the tone. Left point for Latang. Flips it back over to Brian Dumoulin. Snaps it cross ice for Crosby. Deflects it out of midair just wide. That was chest high. How did he knock that out of midair? He choked up on the stick, too. That was incredible. Here's Crosby leading the charge for the pen. Shoots and scores from the left wing circle. The captain is possessed. And the Pens lead at 1-0, 41 seconds in. After Matt Tennyson tied the game at 1 against Tristan Jari, Cody Ceci scored what proved to be the game-winning goal. Siegenthaler in there as well for the Devils. Plays it to the far side, stolen away by Kapanen. Back to the point, it comes Ceci on the right side. A snapshot, scores! Cody Ceci from distance, another goal from the blue line. And the Penguins make it 2-1. At 12.03 of the second, the game's best 200-foot player turned defense into offense, and his line mates perfectly executed a two-on-one. Comes to the right side for Hughes. His centering pass picked off by Crosby. Sends the pens the other way. Two on one. Gensel down the left side for Rust. He shoots and scores at the bottom of the right wing circle. Brian Rust makes it a 3-1 game. Pens in front. Later, Kasperi Kapitan, who was playing his first game since missing 13, proved that he hadn't missed a beat. Motoring back in comes Kapitan down the right side. Fires and scores! Kasperi Kapitan back in the lineup. Right on the score sheet, 4-1, Penguins. And then it was time for the Penguins' best penalty killer to score, his third goal in as many games to put the finishing touch on a 60-minute redo. 14 seconds left in the Crosby minor, and the Devils better be aware of him when he's coming out of the box. Here come the Penguins, a two-on-one shorthanded. Bluger down the right side, into the right-wing circle, shoots, he scores! A shorty for Teddy again! And it's 5-1 Penguins. In the course of six periods, we witnessed the entire four-decade narrative of Penguins hockey in the Lemieux era. A team with 15 scoring titles that's addicted to scoring and has the occasional penchant for falling off the wagon now and then. <laughs> but, of course, we had to leave it to Sidney Crosby to lead the way to redemption. You know, that's when you're going to be the most fresh is that first shift. I think the adrenaline's flowing, and, you know, you're trying to set the tempo for how you want to play for the rest of the game. and. You know, whether it turns into goals, maybe not always the case, but I think you always try to set the tone for how you want to play. And I think, you know, coming off the last game, um, you know, we weren't happy with our third period, obviously. So I think we just want to have a good start and get in the right uh, you know, frame of mind. And, you know, it was nice to nice to get one early. Mets, the Penguins are like a time bomb, okay? They tick, 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 tick. Okay? Which wire do I cut, Stag? <laughs> so they use, well, you don't cut the wire. You let it tick, 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 and then boom, and they explode for all the goals. But if you mess around with it, try to cut the wire, it could blow up in your face. So it's like it's this volatile 
difference between exploding and imploding that seems to always be uh, that thing, that fine line that the Penguins are teetering on. I mean, a couple of goals against real quickly, and it could yep. go south on you in a hurry. A couple of goals for, and you're going off into an unbelievable explosion And maybe both, like we saw goal. the other night. Yes. I, mean, I mean, it was a perfect example of that, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you had everything working against them. Uh, they scored a ton, they let up a ton, and they still won. And it was a throwback kind of week because of that. Uh, it made me think of those days, of the late 80s, early 90s, where they would just get into those those barn burners sometimes where you'd see a lot of seven and six hockey games. And then you have a GM upstairs saying, oh, my God, what are we going to do? That's not playoff hockey. But then they come out and they can really shut a team down on other nights. So um, to your point, I think it snowballs on them sometimes. They start to allow some goals and then you get two, three, four going in behind your goaltender. And it's almost as if they don't have an answer for it. But that's why we love them, and that's what Porky <laughs> would always say. That is why we are the Penguinos. <laughs> <laughs> or Penguinies. Penguinies, peng- yeah, yeah. Penguini hockey. So, Penguini. Listen, uh, you know, what it takes in those situations, though, is a coach who knows exactly what words to say. And yep. Sully knows that, right? He always presses the right buttons. Uh, I, I often say from the moment he arrived in Pittsburgh, Mike Sullivan is the guy you would love to hire as your life coach because he always has the the great advice. He has the good words, and it always just makes you want to run through walls. Uh, He doesn't get too high or too low. You can see when he's angry, but he clearly knows how to handle this group of guys. He manages the egos. He manages the guys that don't have ego, the guys that do have it, and he always comes up with a solution, and it works pretty well almost just the next period, the next night, the next series, whatever it is. And that's why they're right on the cusp of making a run at a division title here. Yeah, and Sidney Crosby always knows what to do. Like, Sully knows what to say. Sid knows what to do. His yep. actions speak just volumes, right? Like, he's not hes not a guy that does a lot of talking. He does his talking with his play. Yeah, I mean, and, and they're very lucky to have a guy like Sidney Crosby here because of his leadership, the way he goes out and sets the example with his actions, his play. Coming out the way that he did, setting the tone early in the game on Thursday night, Stag, scoring early. Uh, and and really, I mean, it wasn't just that. It, he, he was all over the place. He was very good defensively. He made a great play to break up uh, an odd man rush for the Devils that turned into an odd man rush for his linemates going the other way. He's, and, and Jake and Brian Russ know how to to work that very well. They took they took the pass, they finished it, and they, they are in lockstep right behind their captain, as is every other player on this roster. And we touched on it at the start. Tristan Jari played a tremendous game, maybe overlooked somewhat because he wasn't even a star in the game. No. Uh, he made 30 saves, and to be honest with you, uh, the analytics said that the Penguins had allowed more grade-A scoring chances in that game than in any other game that was played that night in the NHL. So he had to make a lot of good saves. Now, a lot of them were first-strike shots where he makes the first save and there's no second opportunity. But they were quick bang-bang shots from good scoring areas where he had to be quick with his right pad or to get over in a hurry and get his glove on, whatever it was. But it wasn't like he's scrambling around, you know, you know, lunging this way and that to make saves. But he was very sharp. He was. And uh, I love the fact that his, his mobility was really on display. And uh, I can't remember exactly who the save was on. That you and I know it's probably what you're thinking of when you when you're referencing the right pad. I like the fact that he was out on top of the crease for that too. He wasn't deep in the net, and you can see when his confidence is flowing, he is stepping up. He's cutting angles off. He's he's out at the top of the crease, and uh, I think it was Kuokinen had a really good chance on a on a bang bang one time pass across the uh, home area, and he he made a beautiful save there. And th- those are the moments when you can tell he was locked in. He made 22 saves over the second and third period, shutting that team out to ensure 
that they didn't get any life and come back the way that they did on Tuesday. And I think it serves him well that he was able to bounce back like he did from that game on Tuesday night to play the way he did on Thursday night. I think that tells you a little bit of something yep. about what kind of mental toughness Tristan Jari has, and that could serve him well in the playoffs. And as for the Sab- uh, Devils, rather, and I keep calling them the Sabres because Lindy Ruff, I just, I, when I think of his it's name, in your I, mind. Yep. I think of Buffalo Sabres. The Devils are a promising group, and this afternoon at 1230, the Penguins will be looking to teach them another lesson on how to win. When we come back, we will delve into the Devils and hear from their general manager, our old friend Tom Fitzgerald, on the Penguins Radio Network, presented by S&T Bank. Was there any quit in them? No. Uh, we were able to take advantage of a lot of situations that you know, I felt we could take advantage. They stayed with it. They didn't quit. They didn't. They didn't overextend shifts. They kept shifts short. They um, they drove the tempo up when they needed to drive the tempo up. Um, they weren't afraid to make plays. They kept making plays. I think if you get a scared team, you don't want to make plays. They still wanted to make plays. We made a lot of good plays. Uh, a lot of those goals were a lot of good plays, and I f- I feel like if we could have executed early in the game on some of our chances. It, it was a game we could have scored nine or ten, really. Um, we got six, uh, and and the fact is, they they were willing to execute and try to get better. I, I know we're young; we're incredibly young. Uh, but you know, to to go after a team like like Pittsburgh with some of the players they got, and and to fight your way back. And sometimes it's easy to fight back when it's a big lead. You might get one or two. But to fight back and get within one and score six, um, there should be a lot of excitement. Uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of great plays, and the guys are making young guys are making really good plays uh, inside the game. Um, we've got a ways to go when it comes to defending with some of our young guys, but we've been trying to improve the offense, trying to work on that, trying to get the the goals up and and I'm starting to see that now. I'm starting to see where opportunities are turning into goals. That 5 on 3 was perfectly executed. Uh, it was something that we talked about, let's go out and score right off the start of the period and, and get ourselves back in the game. And we were able to do that. And um, for the most part when you look at the age of the the youth that was on the ice for a lot of those plays, you know, we're looking at guys that were 22 and under. Yep, and more with the Devils this afternoon. And that was the coach and father figure of the Devils, Lindy Ruff, who was hired by General Manager Tom Fitzgerald, the former assistant GM of the Penguins, who contributed mightily to the Penguins' cause for eight years. He is definitely building something special in New Jersey. And we talked to him and asked him how he's handling the scouting part, uh, given the COVID restrictions and um, just in general how he likes his job. Sure. Um, well, first, it's yeah, it's tough. I like going out and watching prospects play of our, of our own. I've done it for years every year it's what my job was in pittsburgh um to oversee the development and, and growth of all our the young players there um that are in the stable and, and this is no different sure it's been hard not being able to get out and see players and evaluate potential draft picks yeah we've got 18 draft picks uh over the next two years scheduled to have 18 um whether we use them to draft use them to, to trade for players use them for uh just future assets um it's it's a nice thing to have you know, we, right now we have uh, we're sitting with two first round picks. Uh, we have a second round pick. We have two thirds, uh, just off the top of my head. Um, Incredible. So we have some good. Yeah, we've got some good assets to move um, to 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 really fill some holes if we need. Um, but you know, it's just it, it's been a fun process, uh, and, and I've I've really enjoyed it. Am I sick of sick of losing? 
Yeah, the whole organization is, the whole fan base is. Um, but I think they see uh, what's coming, you know, on the horizon here with what we have um, here now in New Jersey and what we have coming. Um, and there's, there's, there's a lot of excitement about that. So the future's bright. Um, everybody gets a little anxious and antsy here, and um, I'm no different, but I still want to remind myself that this is, a, this is a, a, a marathon, not a sprint. I don't know if I guess you've noticed it. Probably you have a, a bittersweet feeling about it at times when you see Brian Rust doing the damage he does against the New Jersey Devils. And the reason I bring his name up, Fitzy, is I distinctly remember on a couple of different occasions you standing in the stands at PPG Paints Arena and talking about this young guy, Brian Rust, who came out of Notre Dame and how he could shoot the puck and you thought he was going to be able to score and you really had a strong belief in him as a player from the earliest days. And I wonder what you think now when you see him playing as well as he plays. Well, I mean, he's, he turned out to be, uh, uh, I'm not sure he turned out to be the player that I thought he may turn out to be because I think he's better than I thought. But I knew he had ability. I knew that he had a passion for the game. I think what Brian learned early was, you know, he was a bit humbled by college. You know, things weren't easy when he first got to Notre Dame, and that's where the development staff helped him get through those days, and he turned he turned out to be the player that we drafted that uh, back in 2010. Um, his speed has improved. Uh, he, he could always shoot the puck, and he was always a smart player. So you, you add those those elements, and you, you, you line them up with a Malkin or a Crosby, um, you know, he, he had the ability to finish. And I, I'm just so happy to see all those kids, Jake Kensel, uh, Brian, you know, just watching those guys uh, develop um, and become the pros that they, they've become, you know, the, the, the elite players that they are in, in the league right now. So uh, it, it's fun to see. And, you know, it just it tells you, it tells you the power of, you know, what Sidney Crosby and, and, and Malcolm can do when, when, you, when you line up next to them. They, they, can, they grow your confidence. They grow the belief that you can play. And, and uh, that it's wonderful to see. Yeah, and I would just uh, love to hear that. That was a, a great endorsement of uh, his own work, really, if you think about it, because he was very much involved in the uh, acquisition of these players. Uh, and uh, I don't think there's one person that ever came in contact with Tom Fitzgerald who doesn't have a tremendous amount of admiration and respect for him. Tom Barrasso uh, may not like him. He might not like him too much because <laughs> he scored two shorthanded goals on him in the same game in, uh, in the playoffs in 93. And the rats were flying. Yeah, and also with Florida. Boy, he, you know, I'll tell you, um, the thing that I remember about Tom Fitzgerald, my first memory of him was how nice he was when you'd walk into the Islanders dressing room. He was one of those guys that was welcoming to the media. He talked to you. He looked you in the eye. He remembered you. He acknowledged you as being a person instead of just somebody who was hanging around bugging everybody. And I really never forgot that. And when he came to the Penguins as part of the organization, I, me- I rem- reminded him of that and how much I appreciated him being that way. That's who he is. And uh, it was just nice to hear him say nice things about the players that are competing right now against the Devils. And Rust is putting up ridiculous numbers against the Devils. He, he really is. I mean, when we were looking at it last night, what was it, 21 uh, points in 26 games now and 11 goals? Yes. I mean, it's just like or on Thursday night. It's crazy when you look back at that. Uh, and, and he has to be you, – you don't want to see it happening against your current team, uh, Stag, but at the same time you have to get a little bit of enjoyment out of the fact that you know you were influential in bringing him into the into the league and, and, and seeing him really flourish here with the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's really kind of a neat thing that Brian Rust has been able to do that. And I think it's neat to watch him rebuild the Devils now. Uh, it's going to be very intriguing to watch what what you know how he goes to work and does all of that there. And I 
The reason I said rats flying is he was part of the two heartbreaks because he was with that Florida Panthers team in yes, 96. I, exactly, yes. but that's So people don't think I was saying that was flying with the Islanders. And that's what stinks. I was so disappointed in a way. I'm like, why are we hiring this guy? And by the <laughs> way, he played, he played for Lindy Ruff. In Florida, which is why, oh, yeah. which is why he, he hired yep. Lindy Ruff, and a lot of people rolled their yeah, eyes when he hired yeah. Lindy Ruff. And you're right; I mean, you know, he was he was a Penguin killer, and, and, and lo and behold, he helped rebuild the Penguins. So it's kind of neat to see. I wanted to throw this at you with the work that they are doing in New Jersey. Stag eight first rounders on the roster, eight second rounders on the roster, and the rest are kind of like a mishmash to go with all those picks they're going to have in the next couple of years. So they've done a nice job of acquiring guys too that weren't even their own first or second rounders. Most of them are, but they've gone out and like uh, Siegenthaler from Washington was a second rounder. Kuokinen was a second rounder. Uh, Siegenthaler was Washington's. Kuokinen was Carolina's. And uh, uh, Stu Denich is Montreal's second rounder. So they go out and they know how to like kind of pick these guys that aren't getting an opportunity and then they give them, you know, a primetime role here. I think Siegenthaler is going to be a nice fit for them. And Washington just didn't have room for him. Really interesting. And, um, they didn't get lucky enough to be in a position to pick really high in the draft when there's a generational player there. Yeah. Jack Hughes is a good player, and Nico Heeshear is a very good player. You get enough of those guys, and you're going to have a really good team. They didn't get a Sidney Crosby or an Evgeny Malkin or a Connor McDavid, somebody like that. Um, but, you know, they have some really good high pedigree players who can kind of lead the way. Yep. And they can augment them with all these other players you're talking about. Yeah. And even uh, Nolan Foote. Got his first goal against the Penguins in the NHL. He was Tampa Bay's first rounder, and they went out and found a way to get him. Now, I think he probably came over in maybe the Blake Coleman deal. I would, yes. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it's just it's great when you can see them build a team like that and, and pick these guys. And, hey, kudos to Ray Shiro and, and company, which Fitzy was a part of it, when they chose Heischer because they could have gone Nolan Patrick, and sadly his career has gone off the rails with injuries and everything. So they did get that one right without a generational talent there. So when you got those two that were kind of neck and neck, it was interesting that they did make the right selection. And it brings back memories for me of uh, 06, 05, 06, 07 for the Penguins when I see what the Devils are doing. And I remember how uh, you know back in those days the Penguins – uh, became much tougher to play against. Ray Shiro went out and got uh, um, Yarko Rutu. Yarko Rutu. That's yep. what I think of. Mark Eaton. He had yep. Dominic Moore. Guys who were nasty to play against. And Eventually it, Matt Cook. Yeah, and it made the Penguins a, a, a tougher team. And that's what the next phase for the Devils is they're going to have to start to plug guys like that in. But they got all that flexibility with the salary cap. They should be able to do it. No yeah, problem. I, I completely agree. They're they're the lowest salary cap in the league right now. They're They're ranked at the very bottom when I was looking at cap friendly. So they have room to move this summer. They can go out and get a, a veteran free agent or two if they choose to. They'll obviously end up with some more talent coming in via the draft. They're going to have a high draft pick this year, and they've got two in the first round. They have the Islanders' first rounder this year as well. So uh, they're kind of hoping that the Islanders don't win a Stanley Cup, I'm thinking, just so they get a better draft, kick, uh, draft pick. But, yeah, they're going to have a lot of flexibility and I feel like you go out and get those types of vets to surround this young talent because they have some really good youth skill that can score, and you just get those gritty guys around them. They'll be in good shape. And, and I think they really, if they had a goaltender, this season would be different. 
Yep, no doubt. And the one guy who really impresses me is Yegor Sharon Govich, who's a fifth-round draft choice. Yep. And Tom Fitzgerald said that he was uh, a guy who kind of became on the scene a little bit more quickly than they even thought he would. They, they were really surprised by how quickly he's developed. Yeah, they're, they're, they're hitting some home runs with these guys, and they know how to find them, and they're working out. And I think that Fitzgerald's track record that he proved here in Pittsburgh is really coming home to roost there in, in New Jersey. Absolutely. We're going to talk division title, among other things, when we come back. Penguins Live Weekly continues in a moment on the Penguins Radio Network, presented by S&T Bank. Hope you're enjoying this week's edition of Penguins Live Weekly. We're here every Saturday morning at 9 a.m., winding it down here, and the Penguins winding down the season on the way to what we hope could very well be a division title. And what an accomplishment that would be, Brian Metzer. I think it will be very exciting for this group. Uh, I believe it will be number nine for them, Stag. They haven't won a division title since 2014, if I'm looking at things correctly here in the media guide. So um, it's it's something they haven't done a ton of in their history uh, to go along with all the other success. So maybe it's better if they don't win a division title sometimes. <laughs> but at the same time, it's there for the taking. And if you can get yourself home ice advantage and who knows where that ranks then uh, when the other teams emerge if you make a, an extended playoff run you want to kind of get yourself a, a good spot in seeding specifically when you get out of the divisional round this year and they are going to reseed the final four teams so giving yourself a chance at home ice down the line too is is an exciting prospect for this group and they will be well and very well seasoned, I think, at that point coming out of this division because it, it's been such a tough road and probably one of the tougher divisions in the entire league this year. Yeah, Tom Fitzgerald referred to it as the toughest division in the NHL. I heard him say that, yeah. Yeah, so now now here's the thing. Um, when they lost those first two games at Philly, in the wake of a lot of prognostication that the Penguins might miss the playoffs after they had played the way they did in the playoffs, even coming into this Last year's year. tag, people said that. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They, 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 Before those games. And yeah, then right, it got right. worse. Yeah. Uh, I think that they are surprising a lot of people. And I think that if they win the division, a lot of eyes will be open. Because I don't think that there are – I still think there are people around the league that don't get it. I mean, they, they haven't picked up on yet what the The narrative has not changed yet. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Don't you think there's still yeah. some convincing they have to do? And I think if they win the division, people are going to go, wow, look where the Penguins come from. And a lot of them will be uh, north of the border because I still think a lot of people in Canada aren't giving the Penguins credit. And it's because the narrative was set. And, and you know we talk a lot about this here, Stag, that narratives are, are formed by a couple of writers that, that are watching and thinking and doing prognostication at the beginning of the year. And then everybody just reads that and runs with it. And then they see a bad loss from here or there. They don't really watch them. They're not paying close attention. And yeah, they're in the mix. I mean, I, I think I mentioned this to you just a few weeks ago. Even... I think it was two and a half weeks ago on the NHL network, the Penguins were still almost right where they are now in the top three in the division. And I watched um, Stu Grimson, EJ Raddick, and, and another individual was on there. I can't remember who it was. And they all pretty much said, well, yeah, it's still there for the Caps to win this division. And it will be theirs probably. And yeah, I mean, you'll see the Penguins and Bruins probably battle it out for the fourth spot. But overall, like they still were talking that way. And it just blows my mind that nobody's really paying attention, that they are now one of the deepest groups of forwards. And that was before Jeff Carter. Jeff Carter's in the mix. You have Evgeny Malkin close to returning. He skated on Friday in a, in a non-contact jersey, but he's back with the group. Um, Freddie is going to be available to them. You have Tanev going to be available to them. You have all these other players that have emerged as great depth for this team. The defense is probably better than they've been g giving credit for. The goaltending's certainly been stout. 
How can you look at them and not believe that they have as good a chance as anybody right now to emerge from this division? I mean, they've really, it's amazing they haven't convinced more people yet. I agree. And and Mike Sullivan could very well be, if they wake up and realize it, because, you know, people have to vote for it, broadcasters do. And it's hard because you don't get to see these teams firsthand now because nobody's playing anybody other than inside the division, right? Yeah. But Mike Sullivan could very well win the Jack Adams. I completely agree. I mean, there's there's competition for it because there's a number of teams that have stepped up and done better than anybody anticipated this year. Florida Panthers come to mind. Joel Quinville of Wiley Vet is probably in the conversation. Um, but but when you look at this, Stag, I mean, the injuries he's had to deal with, I mean, they're well over 220 man games lost this year. I mean, it's just building night in and night out still because the guys aren't back. So by the end of this year, who knows where the number's going to be? It's going to be closing in on, what, 250 probably. And how can you how can you not give him credit as a Jack Adams candidate? And I know people right away, well, Sidney Crosby's there. and Well, then, if you're going to say that, then Sid needs to be in the heart conversation. And they won't put him there because it's Connor's uh, trophy, even though he's been able to run ripshod through the Canadian division that has a lot of bad teams. True. And I think uh, the other thing about Sully, though, and, and we have to be fair here, the Jack Adams goes to your performance in the regular season, and the yep. Penguins' playoff performances have not been great the last few years. So yep. the real test is going to be how the Penguins do in the postseason. And what's interesting to me is that this season has been compared a lot by Mike Sullivan himself to playoff-type hockey because of the series that the teams are playing. Yep. So the Penguins have already kind of proven, I think, throughout this schedule that they can win a playoff series because they've won a lot of little series against some good teams they have more points against the Islanders and more points against the Capitals than they do against than the Capitals and Islanders have against them in these series. So I, I think the Penguins have certainly proven that they're probably better built and ready for the playoffs this year than they have been the last couple. They are certainly uh, among the class of the division. They have proven to be able to hang in with the top teams in their division better than some of the others have been able to hang with them. And really, I think it goes back again to the to the needing a little bit of that that juice involved, Stag, because you have a situation where the Penguins sometimes don't show their they they sometimes don't show their best against teams like the Island or not the Islanders, the the Devils and the Sabers, etc. Because that juice isn't there. Then you go into a matchup with the Flyers who aren't really in the conversation this year, and I think it's there because they have the built-in rivalry. They, they Sometimes the Penguins need to be a rat in a cage and have someone poking them with a stick a little bit to get them fired up because those teams just don't seem to get the juices going. I really agree with that, and they'll get that poke tomorrow when they play the Boston Bruins. Um, are you concerned about these defensive lapses? I mean, we've seen a few of them here in the last few weeks. So, you know, we were kidding about it earlier in the show. Yeah. I don't think it's a big deal, but, you it's, know. It's still six periods for me. Yeah, I mean because you have five in the two game the two games against the Rangers and the Bruins, and then you have one period against the Devils. So yeah, there's been a couple other little lapses, but I mean, is that how you look at it, Stag? I mean, to me, it's six periods of play out of a season right now uh, since they've really righted things. Because if you go back to the end of February, but for sure March first on, they've been pretty darn good defensively aside from those six periods of hockey, and they've all been in recent memory, I guess. But, and that's why it's so fresh in everybody's mind. And it could just be a little bit of you've had guys coming in and out of the lineup in those games, too. I mean, people returning, people going out. Maybe your goaltending dips a little bit in those situations. So it's a, you know, it coalesces in those ugly performances. But I don't know that it's a big enough sample size to say it's a systemic issue for them yet. I remember when Wayne Gretzky was ruling the world and the, uh, the guy that uh, 
people talked about right before Wayne Gretzky really became the incredibly prolific scorer that he, he became in the 80s. They'd say, but Brian Trotje is a better two-way player. They would say that about <laughs> Trotz. Well, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, you talked about the heart. I don't think he wins it. I don't think people will give him enough. But where would you rank this year's performance by Sid among his season performances in the past? I, I, I put it up there among his best just based on the fact that the leadership's been on display. He's been a very good defensive player. And, yeah, it may not open up the eyes league-wide to get him a hard vote. But really, Stag, I mean, for this team, he's doing everything in his power to put them on his shoulders and, and, and carry them to victories, to carry them to um, just the lead by example. I mean, he, he's done a magnificent job. And the work he's done with Jake Gensel and Brian Rust, I mean, they're, they're essentially – They've all combined for like 60 goals. That's a heck of a top line to do that, to put up the numbers Sid is, and to just do the two-way game the way that he is. He's not going to put up Connor-esque numbers anymore, and I'm talking about McDavid, but he doesn't have to. He's a different player at this point in his career, and I think Sid would much rather win a Stanley Cup, and I don't see that in Connor's future anytime soon. I agree with that. And now the other the question, of course, is we go kind of bring it back full circle, as we were saying early in the show, goaltending. Will Tristan Jari be able to play at that level that is necessary in the playoffs for the Penguins to make a long run. It's going to be very interesting. Matt's great show today. Thanks a lot. And you look too, my to friend. Yep. Being together again later this afternoon. Okay? We will, yep. <laughs> yep, the Penguins and Devils are coming up uh, later this afternoon. It'll be game three of this three-game series. And, uh, you know, a sweep, as we said, would put the Penguins in position to perhaps wake up tomorrow morning in first place in the NHL East if the Capitals lose tonight. And that would really, really be something special. So for Brian Metzer... And Wayne Gretzky-Anderson, I'm Paul Steigerwald. You've been listening to Penguins Live Weekly. We'll talk to you again next Saturday morning on the Penguins Radio Network, presented by s and Bank.